worship today. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 14 and keep it open. We'll be looking at various verses in the 14th song of the Psalter for a sermon entitled, coming from the text, You Fool. As governor of the state of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura stated in an interview with a risque magazine that organized religion, that's you, that's me, that's the church, is, quote, a sham and a crutch for the weak-minded. The American Atheist magazine applauded his statement in the Risque magazine, declaring, America finally may have a politician who's able to speak his mind honestly and not be captive to spin doctors and poll watchers, and atheists finally have a leading political figure who isn't afraid to use the A word, the atheist word. Perhaps Jesse's illustrious career in bashing brains and sailing suplexes didn't prepare him for the difficult task of gubernatorial governing. It seems to me like Jesse must have jumped off the top rope one time too many for that verbal spiel. Perhaps he never really made the transition from raving wrestler where you can put your mouth in gear without ever engaging your brain to being a polished politician where measuring one's words is of utmost importance for success. While he might have been held by the Atheist magazine for his candor about his atheist belief, his disparaging marks against those of us who gather to worship the God who creates, saves, and sustained caused him to drop 19 points in the poll overnight. What does God's Word say about those who deny the spiritual realm of life? Those who have no place and no purpose for God. An atheist here at Amarillo wrote this letter to one of the ministers on your staff. He said, you pray that God will reveal himself to me. Well, of course, a mythical God of the Christian religion is unable to reveal himself to anyone. This mythical God cannot answer any prayer, cannot stop hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, earthquakes, volcanoes, or any of the destructive forces, nature, as you well know. Neither can this imagined God stop cancer or AIDS or heart troubles and the other diseases that plague the human race. In fact, this make-believe God can even cure a simple cold. And all the praying of the world cannot change what nature does. Nature will be rewarding, can be destructive. Nature is blind and without reason. Praying changes nothing. And preachers secretly know this. What I have said here is the truth, and no man can prove me otherwise. The chips will have to fall where they may, and the guilty ones are the ones who resent what I have said, dot, 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 he went on and on. What does God's Word say about those who deny his existence? The reality is Scripture doesn't say very much about the atheist in reality. The Bible begins in Genesis 1-1 with the assumption that God is. In the beginning, God, he exists. God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible goes on to deliver its message with the assumption that God exists. That God doesn't exist isn't even a possibility at the beginning of Scripture. So it's interesting to see today, the only thing God's Word says about the one who denies God's existence is He is a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I will say several things about the atheist. First of all, I like to say 
that atheism is without intellectual integrity. Atheism is without intellectual integrity. The psalmist says as much in verse 4, do all the workers of wickedness not know? One translation says, have they, those who say there's no God, have they no knowledge? The atheist thinks that he knows so much when, in fact, he declares that God does not exist and God declares he's a fool. The atheist thinks that he knows so much that he can, he can turn his back on the mystery of God. Intellectually, atheism, of course, is a dead-end street. It offers no real answers for the mystery of the universe. It gives no suggestions as the meaning of life or why we're here or who we're to serve or what we're to do. The fact that we are, that we exist, demands an explanation. To believe for a moment that the universe with all this intricacy and all this beauty and all this complexity and power as our universe does simply made itself is sheer insanity. In fact, I would say with a lot of confidence that being an atheist takes way more faith than I have. Do you know anything else that's made itself? Professor Edwin Conklin, a distinguished Princeton University biologist once wrote, the probability of life originating from an accident is comparable to the probability of the unabridged dictionary resulting from an explosion at the printing factory. Things just don't fall in order like that. Alan Sandage, a scientist, started out as an atheist but turned to belief in God as the only answer to the universe's mystery. Sandage, a world-renowned astronomer who first discovered how fast the universe is expanding and how old it is, was posing questions like, why is there something, why is there something rather than nothing? And his empirical inquiry would yield no meaningful answers. It was my science, says Sandage, it was my science that drove me to my faith. Sandage spent years attacking foundations of religion, said that science now really bolsters his faith. Sandage says the universe seems specifically designed by a designer for life, physical constraints such as the strength of gravity, the mass of the proton, the charge of the electrons appear so finely tuned by the smallest variations that they must have a tuner. They must have an intelligent agent in the works. And such intelligence implies a purpose to our existence. Yes, the atheist has no intellectual integrity. The design that we see has to have a designer. Even the kids wouldn't buy it. I just found that in the woods. The motion, the first domino, all the other dominoes can be knocked, but the first one must have a finger that pushes and begins the action. Those who believe that things just happen, Scripture says, are fools. Now, I won't water down the term fool for you because it is the Bible's most contemptuous term. The fool is a person. It isn't the person who doesn't know what's going on and really is trying to find out. It's not the ignorant person who's searching. It's not the person who's lost but looking. The fool doesn't know that he doesn't know what's going on. In fact, in this context, the atheist, a fool, thinks he knows it all, that he has it all figured out, that he has the dope and he knows the ropes and he's got it all together, when in fact he knows nothing. 
Doesn't take Einstein to look at the movement, the complexities of a, a human hand and know there has to be a designer. Anyone who's ever pondered a pregnancy and a woman carrying a baby to term and the birth of the child, the mystery of that creation happening all over again, well, you can't help but know there is a designer. Everything for our existence is perfect. The gravitational constant is perfect. The ratio of carbon to oxygen is perfect. The mass of the proton is perfect. The temperature range is perfect because the distance of the sun is perfect. The size of the earth is just perfect. The rotational speed is perfect. If you're going to try to maintain an atheistic stance about it all just happened, you've got a lot of explaining to do, a lot of explaining to do. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. I would say the atheist has more blind faith in his nonsense, his pseudoscience, than we have in our informed faith. The second thing I would say is the atheist has no moral foundation from which to live a good life. The atheist has no moral foundation from which to live a good life. It is common to hear people say something like this, no one should impose their moral values onto another. Because everyone has a right to find truth inside him or herself. In fact, you recently heard in the news a college president saying that her truth, her truth, there is not my truth and her truth, there is just truth. Gravity is truth, it's not mine or hers, it just is. Interpretations of truth may differ. One of us has it right and one of us has it wrong, but you cannot say my truth, there's just truth. I say to these folks, aren't there people in the world, aren't there people in the world doing things that you think are wrong? Things that they should stop doing no matter how they personally believe about the correctness of the behavior? And everyone has to say, yes, there's some people doing things I think are wrong they need to stop even if they don't think it's wrong. Well, then you're really not a moral relativist, are you? You have some absolutes. You, you don't let people just follow their individual convictions. It raises a question. Why is it impossible in real practice for anyone to ever be a consistent moral relativist, even when they claim they are? The answer is this. We all have a pervasive, powerful, and unavoidable belief, not only in moral values, but also in a moral application as what ought or ought not to be done. If there is no God... There's no way to say that this action is right or wrong, moral, immoral. All you can say is, I like this and I don't like that. If that's the case, who has the right to put their subjective understanding of morality into law? You say, well, the majority votes and the majority has the right to make the law. Do you mean then the majority would have the right to exterminate the minority by vote? If you say, no, that's wrong, then you're back to square one. Who says so? Who says that the, more, the majority has a moral obligation not to kill the minority? Why should your moral convictions be obligatory for those in opposition? Why should your view prevail over the will of the majority? The fact is, says Arthur Leif, a late Yale law professor, if there is no God, then all moral statements are arbitrary and all moral valuations are subjective and eternal and there could be no external moral standard by which a person's feelings and values are judged. 
And yet we all know napalming babies is bad. Starving the poor everywhere, every day is wicked. They're evil. Buying and selling other human beings and slavery is wrong. And we all know it's wrong because we have a God. We know right from wrong. We have moral objectivity as believers. We know the rules. Thou shalt not kill. Good Sunday to say that, isn't it? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We know that because there is a God, a God who created us, a God who created the universe, a God who said, these are my rules, these are my moral absolutes. The atheist instead doesn't know right from wrong. He's floating in a sea of subjectivity with no place to turn and no moral imperatives by which to govern his life. Notice what happens in 1B. The atheists, the fool, they're corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There's not one of them who does good. In verse 2, is interesting. We have God looking down from heaven to the sons of men. It's almost a mockery that God is looking down on the one, the fool who says that he doesn't exist, and God is surveying his actions and his attitudes. Just because you don't believe in God doesn't, believe that God doesn't mean God doesn't believe in you. Or God's not noticing you. Yahweh looks down from a position of power to the foolish atheist who doesn't even know the greatest power exists. Look at verse 3. They've all turned aside together. Together they've become corrupt. There's not one who does good, not even one. Verse 4. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people, God's people, as they eat bread? Yes, when there's... No God, there's no respect for the God who gives life. There's no respect for life. We tumble down a slippery slope, and all we're saying is, I don't really care for is to have my own desires and my own needs met. That's really the abortion position, isn't it? I don't want an interruption in my life. I want what's best for me. I will not honor life that God has created. If there is no God, we all set ourselves free from dependency. We become the Lord of our own reality. We think we can make people with our own power respond to our desires and our wishes, and people around us become nothing but pawns to be used in our own selfish grand scheme. The psalmist puts it this way. The atheist, a fool, is eating my people like bread. They treat other people as consumer goods. They become cannibalistic in nature. It leads to social oppression. If there's no God, if you know anything about Scripture, the minor prophets, God is always defending the poor. There is no God who hears the cries of the poor. If there is no God, in fact, people just begin to self-satisfy their own compulsions. You see... There's a myth going around that what I believe is nobody else's business but my own. But the reality is how what I believe and what I think shapes how I behave in a culture, in a society, in a community. If I'm an atheist in my heart, making myself sovereign in the place of God, therefore arranging things in accordance with my appetites and my needs and my fantasies, I become a pirate of society. I relentlessly look for ways in which I can get what is there for my own uses with no regard for who else around me 
gets hurt. The atheist has no idea how to live. Doesn't know what's right or what's wrong. They reject the commandments and the ways of Jesus. How does the atheist know if there's no God? Is truth good or bad? The atheist doesn't know. He could sign a contract one day and break it the next day because there's no God to say that lying is wrong, that God is the God of truth and the devil is the devil of lies. He doesn't know the opposition between truth and God and lies and Satan. Should the atheist feed the poor? He doesn't know. There's no God watching after them in his book because God of the poor does not exist. One of the largest emphasis in this psalm is that God takes care of the poor and the atheist is devouring them for selfish needs. Look at verse 6. You atheists would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. You know what's odd? The early church, Christians, we were actually called atheists because we didn't acknowledge all the gods and goddesses of the Greco-Roman world. We denied the existence of the idols and the gods and goddesses of the Greco-Roman world, and we insisted there was only one God, the creator God, the saving God, the sustaining God, the judging God. And so the Romans called us atheists because we rejected their gods and goddesses. But Julian the apostate, go, go look him up. He hated Christians, emperor. He did his best to discredit them. He called us godless Galileans because of Galilee being an origin of Christianity. But notice what he said. He was forced to say about Christians. He said, they feed not only their poor, but ours also. For all the evil things he said about those who called Jesus Lord, he said, they feed not only the Christian poor, while the Christians feed the pagan poor, as well. Your church is feeding the poor every week. There's a third thing I want to say. The atheist, though he or she claims not, actually is a worshiper, but they really worship the self. The atheist is a worshiper, but the atheist worships self. Have you ever noticed how much atheism tries to imitate the church, the religion, the atheists have a Bible. If you're atheist, why would you come up with a Bible? But they have a Bible. Call it a Bible. In fact, the atheist alliance itself declares that atheism is a human-centered vision. It's about self, not about the other. You don't worship the other. You worship the self. You worship humanity. Yes, the atheist worships. We all worship. He just chooses to worship himself rather than the God who knows him, loves him, and created him. I know I'm not worthy of worship, and I know you're not worthy of worship. Not only do the atheists try to come up with a Bible, they have a church. There's one in the Metroplex, a North Texas Church of Free Thought. They use all the words that we use. They use the word fellowship. They even have youth ministers to teach their youth. I mean, it's an it's a, a immediate duplicate. And they meet, what day do you think they meet on? They meet on Sunday. If you didn't believe in God, you didn't believe in Sunday, Sunday's the day of the resurrection. The fact you're meeting on Sunday is something of an indirect declaration of the resurrection that you don't intend. What do they do at their services instead of worshiping? They try to self-actualize. There's your self-worship. They, they say themselves, they try to self-actualize. 
They try to develop a greater awareness of the vast spectrum of thought and feeling connected with the human condition. These are their words, not my words. By the way, they'll take a tax-deductible donation too, and they have membership. Yes, everywhere we turn and everywhere we look, we see the atheist does indeed worship, but the atheist worships herself or himself. It's not a worship of the creator, but rather it just is inverted. It is a worship of the creature. In fact, would you believe that Ellen Johnson, once president of the American Atheist, said at the 25th National Convention, by the way, they have conventions too, just like church. She said she had devoted her life to telling the good news of atheism. That's a biblical, euangelion is the word in Greek for good news. It is the word for the gospel. She has devoted her life to sharing the good news of atheism, again, co-opting the language of Christianity. There's a final thing I want to say about the atheists. The psalmist is not only concerned with overt, cold, calculating atheists. In fact, he's not really all that concerned with the Ellen Johnsons of the world. But rather, it is the one who's an atheist not so much in word, by an atheist by deed. It's not the one so much who's an atheist by word, but the psalmist is word, the one who's an atheist by heart, by deed. No one in this room would probably stand up and declare that God does not exist. Probably no one would do that. But well, what's the difference between an atheist who would not dream of sending any of his money to support the cause of Christ and those who claim Christ but don't? What's the difference between an atheist who refuses to accept the Bible as God's word and the Christian who never hears the word proclaimed or studies the word or reads the word? You see, it's being an atheist by, by, by practice. What's the difference between the atheist who wouldn't dream of gathering together on Resurrection Day and worshiping with the people of God and the believer who doesn't gather with believers on the Resurrection Day? In fact, Ellen Johnson, former president, again, of the American Atheist, pointed her finger at the church, so-called believers, and she said, the church attendance in America has never exceeded 50% of the population. She's right. And she said, and I quote, American families do not care enough to take their children to church. American families do not care enough to take their children to church. The queen of atheists is pointing her finger at us and saying, you don't really believe in what you say. If you did, you'd have your children there to learn. Congregation, we're really speechless to respond to her accusation because She's not right about anything else, but she's right about that. She's saying the same thing the psalmist is saying, isn't she? That by our actions, by our heart, what we give our time to, our tithe to, our gifts to, where we invest ourselves in our life and our relationships, show what we really, really believe. Not what we've said with our mouth, but what have we said with our heart? It's a quiet, it's an unobtrusive atheism. It's not Jesse Ventura who denounces the bride of Christ at church like a babbling politician. It's the unobtrusive atheism that never calls attention to itself, that never says with its mouth, there is no God, that is actually the most hurtful kind. Heart atheism, unlike head atheism, doesn't 
bother to really deny God exists with logical arguments. All that is necessary is take the power away from God by not putting him first in our lives and not submitting ourselves to his authority and the authority of his word and the authority of the church. And we just become sovereign ourselves. Gibson Arnold, as an atheist, was posed the question, what if you're wrong? What if the God of Scripture really does exist? Well, Gibson Arnold truthfully responded, if the Bible is true, my fate will be to spend eternity in hell. And as I go through life, says Mr. Arnold, I worry about the possibility of going to hell about as much as I worry about the possibility of shopping at the mall this afternoon and being fallen upon by an elephant. I just don't think about it. The atheist in Amarillo who wrote one of our ministers has passed away. And now he knows that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What about you? What about me? What are we saying about God? Not with our verbiage so much, but what are we saying about God and his church with our lives? What are we saying by the way we use our time and our talents? What are we saying by the way we prioritize our lives and the events around God and his people? It is the fool who does not center his life around the one who created him, loves him, died for him, was resurrected, and wants to call him into his kingdom. The fool. The fool has said in his or her heart, God doesn't exist. And we as a church, we know a loving God, a caring God, a giving God, a blessing God, a God who intervenes, a God who is at work in the passion of Christ, a God who is specifically at work in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. That what happened there on Calvary was the fulfillment of all the Torah had said and all the prophets had predicted. That it all came into culmination that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross in our place because he loves even the foolish. And he calls us to confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. Maybe you're watching by way of television or Maybe you're here in this great sanctuary. Maybe you've not been sure. I would challenge you to look at the alternative and where that path will take you. And Do you have enough faith to really live the life of an atheist? I don't. I, I require more information than just blind faith. What about you? Are you willing to take the journey exploring the God who loved you, the God who created you, Yes, the God who redeemed you and calls you son or daughter. Let's pray. Oh, God, maybe there's someone here in this room who really struggles with this, and that's okay. I don't want them to feel condemnation. I want them to feel your love and the love of your people. But I also don't want to let them blindly sit where they sit in ignorance. I want to call them to the revealed word of God. 
Maybe there's someone here this morning or someone live streaming who needs to pray. God, I'm a sinner. God, I need a Savior. And for the first time ever, I believe. Maybe there's some folks here, those watching by television, who need to be a part of this church family that will preach the truth of God's Word when we like it and when we don't like it because it's His revealed Word. We can't judge it. It judges us. We can't evaluate it. It evaluates us. We must live under its authority and be redeemed by its story. In the name of Jesus, we pray.